Getting better at copywriting, this thing that we all do, isn't easy. And sometimes we get stuck in a project, we get stuck getting started, or we get stuck struggling to find clients. Our guest for the 228th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Eddie Baroon. Eddie is the kind of copywriter who hates getting stuck, and he's figured out what it takes to get moving again when he has gotten stuck. In fact, he's made dramatic improvements over the past year or two in how fast he writes, in the quality of his writing, and the kinds of clients that he's working with. We think that you're going to get quite a bit from the experiences that Eddie shares in this interview. Before we share our interview with Eddie, this podcast episode is brought to you by TCC, not in real life, our event for copywriters and other smart marketers who want to learn from experts like Joanna Weeb, Todd Brown, Jerisha Hawk, Joel Kletke, Momo Price, and so many others like them. But it's not just about speakers and presentations and sitting through more Zoom calls because you don't need that. Uh, TCC IRL is really famous for connecting copywriters with each other and helping you to form real relationships, even friendships, potentially partnerships with other copywriters and marketers. To learn more, visit thecopywriterclub.com backslash TCC IRL dash one. There's also a link to that in the show notes if you want to check out the event page. Let's jump right into our interview with Eddie telling us how he became a copywriter. I ended up in copywriting like kind of like most people do. I kind of fumbled my way into it. I had been kind of doing it without even realizing I was doing it. And, you know, I was doing a lot of content writing and I was just generally doing a lot of advertising work. Uh, my first very marketing kind of job was like, I had a buddy who owned all the screens at our universities, all the TV screens, and he was selling ad spaces using that. So I was like a guy that was just coming around, knocking on doors around local businesses saying, hey, you want students to like come and spend money here, right? Well, we've got all these plat, like we've got all these TVs and to kind of like, you know, it was a sales job. So it's tough. Like you're not going to get paid until somebody says yes. So what I was trying to do is sweeten the deal by kind of offering them ad copy and ad like ad design, graphic design. I didn't know what the word copywriting was back then, but I just knew that like words go on an advertising piece. So people like that. And I was getting, I was closing deals. Eventually I got a chance to work in the newspaper world and came across the idea of content writing and saw that as very magical because local businesses like, you know, there's this mom and pop shop, Indian restaurant in a little tucked away part of town that was like really nervous about investing in a piece with the newspaper. It was like 3000 bucks, which was a lot of money for them. And we ran it and their phones wouldn't stop ringing. And all of a sudden we had just changed the, their lives. Like they were all of a sudden booming. They were, they were booked for the entire like month. And I thought that's crazy. Like we wrote a cool, really like it just, you know, it seems like magic. Like we wrote this little story and it completely revolutionized their lives. And I got really like intrigued by that. And I wanted to like learn more about how to write better, how to come up with like interesting hooks and stuff. And that kind of led me into like trying to do stuff on the side. Like I had a buddy who wanted some SEO blog posts and, you know, like a, <laughs> like a moron, I was selling them for 50 bucks a pop, but I was so intoxicated at the idea of that, like somebody would pay me to write them and that like my writing was actually good enough to get paid for. So I did that. And obviously 
you stop being intoxicated by it by like the eighth time you're like okay this is a lot of work the 50 bucks isn't really that alluring and then you realize you can double your rate and people will probably still come back if you're doing a really good job so that's kind of how i got started and then i eventually started doing some sales pages and landing pages and i you know somebody gave me like an insta page account unbounce account and i just had a lot of fun like bringing it to life putting the visuals together getting the copyright but like what happened is like whenever I would start a new one, it would be like a month or two later, I would go back into that account and I'd look at the page I had put together in the first place and all the numbers were at zero, like there were zero conversions. And it it really bothered me. I'm like, wait, what's going on? Like I did such a good job. Why? Well, at least I thought I did a good job. I put so much hard work into it. Why is this not happening? I kind of went down this rabbit hole of like trying to figure that out. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. There's this whole concept of like con conversion rate optimization. Wait a minute. There's this whole universe of copywriting. Like there's Eugene Schwartz. It's like a whole universe that I'm completely ignorant to. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to get like, I got to get caught. Like I got to catch myself up. I got to like get up to speed with this. I was like came across this idea of copywriting, which was so foreign to me. And I honestly, like even now I, I think of copywriting like almost like, it really feels like Harry Potter, like you and like you guys know who I am. I know who you are. We all know each other. We know what the kind of work we do. But like an outsider, when I try to, when they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a copywriter. They're like, they don't know what that word is. So it's like, I'm talking to a muggle almost. Like they just have no concept <laughs> of it. So that's, that's we're, so are you saying we're wizards? Are we wizards now? I believe so. We're very, we do very you're magical us, things. <laughs> you're making us a lot cooler than I think we are. I mean, that's great. I'll take it. We're wizards. We're not sure I would look good in the robes. <laughs> or with the beard. Okay, man. Here. It's all in the it's all in the wand swing, man. Yeah, I'll <laughs> but, bet. Uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I fell into it. Like, just like I started with a bit of content writing, and then I started doing a bit of like sales pages, and it just didn't work. And I was like trying to figure out why because I was just obsessed with the idea of like how do I solve this Rubik's cube? Because like I put a, like I felt like I did a good job, so why is it not converting? And then start learning about like okay, well your traffic sources matter, like where people are like. And the amount of things that those people, the traffic sources have been exposed to before they even hit that page, all of these things matter, that, you know, stages of awareness and all that stuff. And there's this, and just like the rhetoric that you're presenting on the page, like the words aren't, you can't just be frivolous. You can't just like use nice buzzwords. You have to be like very particular and very like meaningful in the words you use that like speaks to the person that's going to read it. And, and like, I just fell in love with it. Like, I don't know, I guess I'm a nerd. Like, I just thought that stuff was really cool. And I liked, I enjoyed learning it and applying it and getting results out of it especially for my clients. Like when they were happy, I was happy. So Eddie, when I listen to you talk about, you know, this uh, progression in your career, it seems to me like, you know, as you needed to learn something, suddenly, you know, the resources are there or, you know, you spot the opportunity. Is there something about your approach to work where you're kind of keeping an idea on the next thing to learn or the next thing to do or the missing piece that you need to add? Do you have a process for that or does it just kind of happen? I don't necessarily have a process for it yet, but it's, I, I would say it's been kind of forming in recent years, but like before it was kind of like, you know, I used the word fumble, which like, it's very deliberate. Like I fumbled my way into copywriting because like, I didn't really know that I was falling in the first place. And then I realized I was falling and I started like falling, trying to pivot myself into the right directions of where I was falling. And that was more towards learning how to be more persuasive with my writing, which led me to copywriting. Um, I was also really fascinated with the concept of branding because like, I was. I wanted to really understand, like, what, why do certain brands last as long as they do versus some brands that try, but then they kind of fizzle out after maybe a couple of months or a year? Because that happens a lot in the local scene. Businesses would just prop up, and they would just vanish. And there's lots of reasons for that. But like, 
I was like interested in the deeper meaning of like, you know, what does it take for a brand to last 15, 20 years? And that led me to like, you know, you're, you're asking me like how I like kind of figure other stuff out. The, my desire to understand branding led me to graphic design. So that's why I kind of get graphic design because they kind of like work in that brand strategy space. Like, you know, they come up with the logos, the color palettes and all that. And I examined that a little bit, but I realized that like that's really surface stuff and that branding really comes back to copywriting and writing because it's about the rhetoric. It's about the message. It's about like, what is it that the brand is really staying? First of all, who are they trying to help? Why are they trying to help them? And what is so compelling about the way that they're helping them that makes them so you know different from everybody else that's probably doing that thing? And like, that's just a topic that I'm still studying. I'm still a student of it, but I understand a lot better. And it all comes back to the word. It's like the words you choose. And we take our words for very granted. We take words like we, we take them for granted a lot. A lot of people in marketing, like, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. Like they're very arbitrary. Like, you know, I was kind of making fun of this the other week because every January, like there's like at least 12 people that use New Year, New Year, like in their ads or their emails. And I just like, I, I think we use that. Okay. We, we, <laughs> we should retire that. Like it was probably cool when it came out 40 years ago, but it's just like, you're, as a marketers, we're, we're, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to stand out a little bit. We're supposed to be compelling. And it just feel, feels like, you know, it's easy to just take the low hanging fruit. And um, I feel like I've not really answered your question, but yeah, it's kind of how I feel about it. No, but, but Kira raises a really good point. Like I was a lot cooler 40 years ago than I am today too. So maybe. <laughs> Were maybe, you? Yeah. 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 I think, well, okay. Not a lot. I think you're maybe pretty not cool a lot. Right now, <laughs> Um, so Eddie, you're like, I mean, it's clear from even listening to your responses that you're a student of the craft and I think, you know, more so than the average copywriter. So I guess my question is like, when, when do you kind of, when did you feel like you made it? And, and I don't mean like made it in life and all, you have all the answers, but when was the moment as a copywriter where you're like, this is a win, like I've got this, um, or maybe there were multiple moments like that. Can you share a couple of those with us? I think it was clear to me when I, I made it, when I failed like at something that I tried the first time, but then I made it work. And so, you know, like I gave you that example of the, the first couple of sales pages I worked, they just didn't convert. And I was really heartbroken about that. Like I literally was like depressed. I'm like, how on earth? Like I put so much of my heart into this. How did it not work? But like, I didn't give up. You know, I didn't give up. I decided to like go read some like, you know, articles. Uh, I watched some YouTube videos. I eventually came across you guys. I learned, I decided like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm like, I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm determined. I'm going to figure this out. And I, I eventually got that page to convert. And then I started realizing that there's a lot of moving, like there's different parts to the puzzle. Like, sure. I might've written a really good page, but like, if we don't have the right traffic sources, it's not really going to matter. So like now I have to figure out Facebook ads. Now I got to figure out Google ads. Um, we got to figure out, I have to figure out analytics and being persuasive is one thing in copy, but you also have to be persuasive, persuasive visually. So like, I have to understand like UX principles. Like I have to make sure the page looks good on mobile. It's not enough to just do desktop. Like there's so many things I want to understand to just make sure that we get the end result. And so I felt like I made it when you know, very recently where I started, as you know, I started working with Chris Orzakowski at his agency, which has been a phenomenal experience. And I also got a chance to work with Angie Coley, who's really awesome. She used to be the copy chief for him when they used to work at Jeff Walker's, you know, team for, for launch. 
uh, and for the product launch format rather. And so I had a chance to recently work with them and I would send drafts that I was like really sure of. And she would be like, you need to rewrite this whole thing. And like, I got a little upset, but then I got excited because like she kind of taught me to realize that like, I'm trying to get the masterpiece up front with my first draft. And that's just like the dumbest thing you can do. You're chasing a unicorn. The first draft of anything sucks. You should get excited that your first draft got trashed because you're actually getting closer to the masterpiece you're chasing. And it takes a couple of trashings before you get to it. And that's when I realized I'm making it because I got comfortable with the idea that like not getting the first draft accepted, like it wasn't bothering me. I was actually like, okay, great. I'm going to like, I'm getting that much closer to figuring out the exact page we need for this or the exact subject line or copy for the email. That's when I realized I was making, cause like I didn't give up. And then I would send that second, third draft and she'd be like, this is perfectly spot on. And I'd be like, nice. I nailed it. And then that's just not, that's like one example, but like there are other times where like I literally wrote the page and like, I was so sure that like they were going to come back with edits and they were like, Hey man, you really knocked this out of the park. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm, I'm finally figuring it out. Cause like before all of that, I, to your point, like it, it felt like I was a student, you know, Rob even made a good point. He's like, you have to watch out not to be a, like, are you a professional or you're a professional student? And I kind of felt like I was a professional student because sure. I read some of the books. Sure. I like went through all these courses, but like, you know, like it's one thing to wield the sword and like, you could wield a sword and say you're a swordsman, but then it's like, well, how many times did you actually strike or fight? And it's like, well, I didn't really do that. It's like, okay, well, you're, so you're really just, a, you're wearing a swordsman costume. You're not really a swordsman. You haven't really been in the ring. You didn't really struggle. You didn't like learn from that struggle. Cause that's the only way you can really get good. It's like to, to get thrown in the mud, and, but get back up and learn how to fight smarter next time. I don't know. That's kind of how I looked at it. And like in some of my recent experiences that kind of happened, like I got chewed up, but I kept, I, I went back at it and my drafts were a lot better and they did convert a lot better. So let's talk about that a little bit more uh, because we've seen the evolution of your writing process, you know, over the last few months, you know, I, I remember a conversation we had with you a couple months ago where you were really struggling with um, getting things down on paper or, you know, writing fast enough in order to, you know, get the work out. So tell us about like, almost walk us through that process, you know, from, okay, here's the assignment, Eddie, uh, you've got, you know, a week to turn it around. What is your process and how do you get it out the door? It really depends on what it is I'm working on, um, which I guess we could talk about later. But like, there's a difference between writing a sales page and an email in terms of process. But like, the first thing I do is like, I just like try to download everything about the the voice of the person that I'm writing for. Like, so I'll, I'll go through their Instagram, their Twitter, anything there, anything where they've expressed themselves, and I will literally just absorb that. I, so I treat it almost like being an actor. Like, if I want to play a certain role. I want to really understand their, their mannerisms and the way they think and the sort of reflexes that come from that sort of thinking. So I really like s steep myself in just like reading their posts, but not just reading their posts, but also reading at the responses they're getting from their audiences. Like I'm trying to understand that dynamic, the relationship they have as a brand. And I really like just absorb all of that. And, you know, I don't always get a week. Sometimes I only have like a day or two and that's fine. Um, I'll make it happen. But like I really first try to absorb the material and I try to go to sleep. If I can go to sleep, if I could just have a chance to go to sleep or like to like go, you know, take a drive or shop. if there's enough distance between actually writing and like studying the material, I try to enjoy that because I need the material to kind of just like go into my brain and sort of embed itself. 
so that I kind of don't have to think about it. It almost just kind of becomes a part of me. And then when I, you know, when that happens, the ideas sort of write themselves in my head. Chuck Palahniuk, the author of Fight Club, talks about the difference between typing and writing. He says that when he's at the computer, he's typing, he's not writing. The writing happens when he's at the gym or when he's taking a walk. It's all happening in his brain. And I really relate to that. So like when I'm sitting down and write, I already know what I'm going to say. Um, so usually the trick is just to get the first draft out. You know, I struggled for a long time because what I was trying to do is I was trying to write and edit simultaneously. And that just doesn't work. And it's also really not effective. You, you have to like look at yourself as two people. There's like the creative artist that just kind of wants to express itself. It doesn't want to like be concerned with mistakes. But then you have like this managerial side that's kind of like, well, that's going to look stupid. You're going to make us look like idiots. We shouldn't do that. And so you have to recognize that those two halves need to kind of be kept separate when you're writing. So what I try to do is I keep the, the manager out of the room for the first draft. I just like vomit draft. I'm like, I'm going to write ridiculousness. I'm going to write as much as I need to. It doesn't matter if there's typos. It doesn't matter how silly it is. The whole point is to express yourself and to get the clay out. And I think of it in terms of getting clay out because once I have enough clay, I can get the creative guy out of the room and bring the manager in and then I can start sculpting. That's when the editing happens. Okay. Does the rhetoric make sense? Are there objections? Am I really touching on all the important like hesitations or objections? You know, am I talking about the right pain points? I get that part right. Okay, great. I'm going to walk away a little bit, then I come back and then, okay, do I sound like the person? Like, okay, can I, can I pepper in their personality? Like, I'm not a very big emoji guy, but some people are. So I got to like, it has to sound like them because like, that's part of being persuasive. It has to feel like it's really the person talking. If not enough, the, the argument is valid. It has to actually sound like it's coming from their heart. So that's also part of like being persuasive. And that's kind of the process I take. So vomit draft, one, two, does the rhetoric make sense? Am I hitting all the right like points? Okay, great. That's two, three. Does it sound like it's really coming from the person? And that's kind of the process I take. So to go back to kind of what we were talking about, about student, you know, being a student versus actually doing, um, what advice would you have for copywriters who are listening, who are maybe where you were a couple of years ago, where they're, you're, they're kind of hooked and obsessed with copywriting, they're studying, they're taking courses, reading the right books, um, but they're kind of missing that the action piece that you were talking about where they're in the ring and they're actually working with projects. And so they're, they're caught up in the studying side of it. What did you do to get out of that? And like, what did you do to kind of hustle and get clients and even line up this opportunity with Chris O and you know, I know you were doing many different things, but what actually works when you're in that stage and trying to kind of move from student to the, the actual practitioner, what could work? So, yeah, that's a, it's a tricky question because it's something I think about a lot. So one of the reasons I was very, I'm very excited about working with Chris is because when I was working with my local client who I've had for like maybe a couple of years now as a retainer, I would send drafts. And then they would just be like, hey, this is great. Thanks. And I was not satisfied with that because I'm like, I'm pretty sure there needs to be improvement. And I don't know that you, I don't, I realize that like, I'm not sure that all clients have the perspective or the operating system, if you will, to recognize good copy. And I was a little worried about that as a newcomer. I'm like, how do I know that I'm writing actually good copy? Like, what's the standard here? So I almost felt like I needed some sort of apprenticeship 
to kind of like know for sure that I'm good. And that's why like when I got a chance to work with Chris and Angie, I was like, they're going to challenge me. They're going to tell me my copy isn't great. And that's when I'm going to like actually get better because my worry was that if I start signing different clients and I send copy and they're like, it's great. They might just be arbitrarily saying that it, I mean, my copy can seemingly seem good, but it might not necessarily be like on the dot persuasive and really like primed for conversions. So like, I guess my advice to anyone that's like sort of up and coming, like was kind of like me back when I was starting where they want to get into this line of work, but they're also like lacking in the education or the knowledge is to first learn the ideas, learn the techniques, like read the greats. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, breakthrough advertising. I know it's like over a hundred bucks, but like, that's like the Bible, like get that book and read it and know it. You've got the copywriter club. You've got copy hackers. There's, a tremendous amount of resources that will like immediately inform you on how to write good copy. But that's just the knowledge. Like I said, it's one thing to know the knowledge, but it's another to actually wield it and strike it. You have to get in the trenches. You got to write, you got to have someone putting money on the table and expecting you to deliver that risk factor needs to be in place and you need to stress and you need to work like doubt yourself when you're behind that keyboard at like 12 in the morning. And like that experience kind of has to happen for you to start becoming a copyright. You have to struggle, but find a way to like get past the struggle. And like, I don't know if that's really a clear way to explain it, but like, just, just take on the work. I don't think you should necessarily just take on any work. I think you should take work that you can be excited about and that you can be proud of by the end of it. And like, like something that you can really show off and be like, you know what? I might've agonized on this, but like this became a really compelling piece. It's really converting. It's making a lot of money for my client. And like, now the next time I do it, I'm going to be a lot faster because I went through it the first, the first time it's always a little slower, but like you get better just because you don't fall for the same pitfalls. So my, my, my advice is like, find a project. It doesn't necessarily have to pay a lot. I know that's like a lot that's important sometimes for trying, but like find a project that really excites you. And like you, you, you're really about what that brand is trying to do. And like, you just write a, like put your, like have fun, find the fun in a project and just give it your all. And like, that will not only inspire you, but it'll inspire your clients and inspire the people that read that page in terms of their audience. And it'll make, it'll empower you. And then you'll just use that energy in the next couple of projects. You know, just that's, that's my advice to the, anyone who's kind of in that situation. So Eddie, let's talk about where your business is today. You mentioned that you've done work for Chris and uh, with Angie, uh, you've also your other ongoing retainer client that you were working with for a while. But tell us what kinds of work do you do today? What are you charging for those kinds of projects? What does that all look like? It's really like case by case. I mean, like with, with, you know, Chris has an agency and my local, like my local client is also an agency. So the rates are a little lower because obviously they sign a certain you know, package with whoever they're sitting with and I get a certain cut for just doing the work. Um, obviously if I work directly with clients, it's a bit different, but, um, it really depends. Like it, it depends, you know, it depends on what it is we're trying to do. If, you know, I could just tell you like, yeah, this, like an email will cost you this much, but like, as my, my experience has been that every time I sit with someone, their needs are very, very different and it's hard to just like box a certain price. Like I could say like a sales page costs 2000, but like that would be kind of foolish because is it just like a sales page that's like maybe four pages long as in a Google Docs or is it like a like a monumental masterpiece like the, some of the stuff copy hackers uses to sell their courses like obviously 2000 would be a ridiculous price for that i would say it really depends but like yeah it, it really depends i know it's not the 
the answer you're looking for, but like, it really depends on the person I'm sitting with. I can't just like spitball a random number like that. You're right. I, I am disappointed. I have to admit, it's not the answer I was looking for. Rob will survive. I'll be five k and up. There you go. Um, so Eddie, I I feel like I have to ask you because you're working for a couple different agencies, and um, you know, I know we're working on a couple projects. Um, I feel like you're doing something really great in those relationships where you're stepping into someone else's business where they're, you know, they're the face of the business and like their reputations on the line and, and they really depend on their, their, the copywriters on their team. And clearly like you've figured out how to make that work, um, with Chris and Angie. Um, I've worked with you and like, you're, you're wonderful to work with. So can you give any advice to other copywriters who do want to step into a role like that and work with uh, either other copywriters who are a couple steps ahead or for an agency, um, like the best way to kind of even approach it and like what you have to, you have to do what's, um, most critical to maintaining that relationship because, you know, we all know like there are plenty of junior copywriters who kind of come and go and don't quite match the needs of the, the micro agency or the, the copywriter. You have to like, you have to like decide, like, you have to make a commitment to yourself. Like I've made a commitment to myself that like, I want to really be a copywriter and I want to be good at it. And I want to at least do it for 10, 15, 20 years. Like, I'm not just looking to, I know that like some people try it and it's not really their thing and that's, that's fine. But like, I really like the craft and I love what I do and it's not easy, but I, I'm very proud of it. Like at the end of the day, like I'm really glad I do it. So like, that's the first thing you got to figure out. Like, is this really like, is this like a flavor thing? Like you're just trying this out? Like, are you just trying to see if this is for you? Um, that's the first thing. But like, otherwise, like if you're sure about it, like the way I am a little bit, then like the move would be to go work at an agency, but more importantly, try to work with an agency where the, the, the people that are sort of at the head positions are copywriters. Because there's a difference between working at an agency where the people who are at the top are copywriters versus an agency where it's just marketing people. And I've been in both of those. And you don't necessarily get the appreciation or respect or support when you're working at a, a general marketing agency. They kind of just look at you as a production monkey. And that's really obvious with the way they're trying to hire you. Like, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to use names, obviously, but like, they were like, hey, we need you to like optimize our emails. And here's a mock e-commerce store. And it was like a mock e-commerce store for like bug protein. So it was like, like you could buy like a kilo of like worms and stuff. And like, I was just like, I was gagging because I'm one of those guys who can't. Oh, we buy that second. stuff all the time. We buy that stuff well, all the time. Well, hey, I'm super happy for you. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll send you the link. But I was just like, this is so awful. And it's like, why would you? And I felt like they were just trying to see if how, uh, how badly I wanted a job. And like, whatever, I filled it in. They liked it, but they were just like, you know, we were trying to, they were like, you need to do three more interviews after. And I'm like, okay. I mean, how much, how bad, like how much work does it really take to hire a copyright? And it's like, they kept rescheduling me. And I just felt like completely like disrespected. And like, I'm a human being at the end of the day. Like I, I, I get it. Like you want to make sure you're hiring the right person, but like, this seems a little, a little unreasonable. Whereas like, you know, I'm not saying that like everyone runs their agency like Chris, but like, they have an, he had an appreciation for copywriting and he saw, he, he sees the value in it, you know? And like, there's a lot of copywriters who are starting their agencies. There's like Joel Cleggy with Case Study Buddy. Um, I know there's Iman Zabi with like Terrain. I don't know if that's really an agency. I, I, sh I know she has an agency, but like, 
those would you I feel like you want to be around people who have been doing copywriting for a while because they'll understand they'll see themselves in you like as they were from years ago and they'll they'll lend a better hand to you and you need a hand like it's rough you know like because you're you're trying to get good at this thing and you're also trying to get paid at the same time but you can only get paid if you're good it's kind of a double whammy and if you're able to like just be with people who can see that and understand that and have like enough compassion that, you know, that's a great place to be. Um, now in terms of like how to approach that, it's the way, like my advice is just to approach the way I've been doing it. Like, I'm just going to be a student of this forever. Like, I don't think I'm ever done. Like I'm just going to keep reading and keep absorbing until it's kind of like muscle memory and like determination. Like I might not be the great, I might not be the greatest copywriter, but like I'm very obsessed with delivering a good job and, yeah, for better or worse, that might not be the greatest for like my my own personal life. But like, again, I, like I said, at the very beginning of the question, like you have to make that decision. Like, are you doing this to kind of feel things out or are you very about it? And I've decided I'm about it. So I'm going to make this, make this happen. I'm going to become a great copywriter. I'm going to work with people. I'm going to get better at it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my response to that. Let's stop for a moment and go a little deeper on a couple of things Eddie mentioned. We talked a lot about uh, being a student of the craft. Um, what did that, what stood out to you the most, Rob, as we were talking about the craft of copywriting with Eddie? So I, I kind of like this idea of being the student of the craft, you know, and, and building our skill sets and really diving into it. I, I think it's maybe the kind of idea that um, just gets me thinking about, okay, if I'm going to continue being a student of the craft, if I'm going to continue learning, what are the things that I need to be doing differently or in addition to? And it seems like with copywriting, there's always something to learn. You know, there are new ways to use our copy. There are new ideas to incorporate in our copy. There are persuasion techniques that we can try out. There are, you know, clients, different clients that require different approaches. And so there, there's, just always something to learn. And I really like Eddie's approach, you know, how he's always, you know, he's, he's looking for the next book to read. He's looking for the next thing to learn, the next mentor to work with and just always getting better. And so I, I just think it's, it's a good thing to point out that this is a thing that we're all dealing with and, and we can literally be students of the craft of copywriting for decades as we continue to improve and get better. Yeah, but I think it's also a double-edged sword when you are a student of the craft. I think it's – and this is what I love about Eddie, that he is – that's how he views himself. And I love his level of commitment. I mean, Eddie, we said it in the interview, he brings this intensity um, to everything he does as a copywriter. And um, and he's committed. He even said in the conversation that he's, he's dedicated to copywriting for the next 20 years, potentially. I don't think a lot of copywriters see it that way as this long-term commitment in the way that he does. So it makes this commitment to the craft a no-brainer. And um, I think it can also decrease the overwhelm because I feel like so many copywriters we talk to feel overwhelmed by everything. They feel like they have to learn tomorrow. And that's why they take all the courses and then don't actually complete them. But I think if you look at it like Eddie and you see it as a 20-year career path or more, it takes that pressure off where you can learn a little bit each day, but you don't feel like you have to learn everything in a week. And so I think that's really powerful. But I think what we talked about with Eddie is the flip side of that is just that 
you can get caught as a professional student and not actually a professional copywriter. And I know that's what Eddie has wrestled with. And he's come out on the other side as a true professional by the action he's taken. But a lot of copywriters, newer copywriters do get stuck in the professional student um, cycle where they just like feel like they can't actually do the work until they learn all the things. And so they get stuck there. Yeah. I think that's where another thing that Eddie mentioned, you know, talked about, you know, and how he started getting mentoring um, from, from you and me, from Chris, from um, other people that, you know, he's working with. And that is one way that you can actually speed up that learning process, you know, because your mentor, you know, somebody who's critiquing your copy, somebody who's pointing out what could be better or what's wrong actually speeds up that process. So, um, you know, obviously as we're beginning our careers, we say, oh, you know, I realize that I don't know this thing about say persuasion, or I don't know how to write a sales page. And so you can find the book, you can find the blog post, you can find the course about that stuff. But being in a project where you're assigned that kind of thing and get direct feedback from a mentor the way he has is a, just a, a great way to speed up that uh, learning process. And again, being, being a student of the craft. Yeah. And looking for those opportunities uh, in those, especially in those copywriting micro agencies, like the one that Chris runs. Um, I mean, there's so many different copywriters that have their smaller teams, but steady work and overflow and they need junior copywriters and they don't, they don't want to pull in a new junior copywriter for each project. They want to have a consistency. And so those opportunities are definitely available for copywriters that want to build the confidence and can deliver consistently the way that Eddie does. So I think it's, it's paid off for him and it could be something that other copywriters look out for. Yeah. One other thing that Eddie talked about, you know, is just getting that first draft done, that first draft out. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, uh, you know, most of my first drafts also aren't that great. You know, I have to rewrite it and rework it. You see some of my first drafts and you you rewrite some of those they're things awful. too. Yeah, so, yeah. They're awful. So let me ask you this, do all first drafts suck or, you know, is it possible to write a first draft that's actually pretty good? You know, we've you and I have talked to copywriters. For some reason, Emma Emma Samasco is coming to mind. I, I don't know why, but um, I feel like Emma could write a great first draft. <laughs> and I know there are copywriters who can just kind of um, bang it out, and and they have speed, and they can create something really great on a first draft. I am not like that. I'm more like Eddie, so that's why I, I get I get the struggle, Eddie. Um, I start editing while I'm writing. And so that's, I, I start to wear those two hats that he mentioned. So I really have to kind of work and think like Eddie and just be the creator and stop editing to get that messy first draft out. But that's, that's always a struggle for me. I don't think it's a struggle for everyone. Yeah. That when I'm writing first draft, I I'll often find that I get really repetitive, you know, or I'll come back and I'll say the same things over and over and having to go back and clean that up and tighten it up is always really helpful. And then of course, you know, when we're writing things together, you're always really good at adding in the humor that, because I'm, I'm humorless. So you're always good at adding in the fun stuff. Um, one more thing that, uh, I think is worth pointing out, you know, Eddie talked about this experience with the client where, you know, he's not getting, uh, the feedback or the yes or whatever. And I just thought this might be a good time just to stop really quickly and mention some of the red flags that we see. We've talked about this in the underground, uh, before, um, and, and shared some of that stuff there, but there are red flags that happen in that process before you start a project that can often just 
give you the signal that this is not a client that you want to work with. You know, even if you are desperate for money, even if you're desperate for work, sometimes these clients are not worth it and not getting information from them or, you know, changing of scope even before the project starts is one of those red flags that just like it screams, look out, this project may go off the rails. What other red flags do you see in some of your, uh, well, I know you work with better clients that don't really have that many red flags, but you've seen red flags in the past. Oh yeah. I mean, not too long ago, I remember I was sharing with you, there was one prospect who reached out and was way too flattering of me. Like just was like very, not just nice, but just like, you're so talented, blah, blah, blah. I have to work with you. And it was, it, that was a red flag. Cause it was, and there was a lot of desperation in the email and it wasn't, it wasn't a good desperation. It was like, I want you to feel bad for me and take on this project because I'm in a desperate situation. And that definitely was a red flag. And it turned out once I had the sales call, this particular prospect wanted me to take the project and like not get paid right away and set up some back end deal. It just, it wasn't going in a good direction, but it started off with a lot of buttering me up and a lot of flattery. And so now I'm very skeptical if anyone's nice to me. So <laughs> because I'm, I'm like, what are you trying to get? What are you trying to get for me? I'm trying to figure out why not getting paid uh, is a red flag. Like what's what? Yeah. Who thinks that's a good idea? Yeah. Why, yeah. Why, <laughs> why could that possibly be a good idea? But it's amazing how it even, I mean, I talked to this prospect like six months ago and I've been on plenty of sales calls. I've seen red flags, yellow flags, but I was getting pulled into it a little bit where I felt indebted to this person who was trying really hard, really nice too, really nice and dedicated to the business and really desperate for help. And I, I got pulled in to, until I realized it was just too many red flags. Another one is if they've worked with a lot of other copywriters, especially when it's copywriters you know and you know they're really talented and for some reason it didn't work out with these other copywriters who I trust. And so I immediately go to them to find out the full scoop, which is why it's ha helpful to have a community of copywriters so you can vet these prospects. What about other red flags for you, Rob? Things like timeline, you know, people who need something turned around really fast in, you know, in a week or two, or uh, a really big one is people who have a hard time giving you information about, you know, the project or the business. Uh, they can't connect you with former clients that can talk about their experiences, you know, no testimonials. So those kinds of things that I usually ask about at the beginning of a project are all red flags that, you know, this project may be more difficult moving forward. And there are, there are a lot of different things that can signal a red flag. And I think really the important thing isn't necessarily what is the red flag, but it's recognizing the voice inside your gut that says, wait a second, something's off here. And there's a little bit of a talent of, you know, it, it takes time to develop that because the first time you'll want to ignore it because you know you see the money or you need the project or whatever. But after doing it two or three times, you start to realize that that sinking feeling at the beginning of a project is the signal that you really should be working on something else and not with this particular client. Yeah, that's very true. There, You can feel the anxiety before you even book the project. So it's, it's there. Sometimes we just, we trick ourselves into believing that um, it's not what we think it is and we shouldn't pay attention to it. So let's go back to our interview with Eddie and talk just a little bit more about mentoring and the imposter complex. 
So Eddie, you've talked a little bit about some of the people you've worked with, you know, you've been mentored by really, you know, as you think about the mentors that you've worked with, what are some of the top lessons that you've taken away from those experiences as you've gotten feedback from people like, uh, you know, Chris, Angie, Kira, you know, others? Yeah. So let me, uh, let me go through. Well, first of all, it's you guys. Cause like, I'm not, he- I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you guys. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. Like, honestly, like you we, we were... made you say that. We made we made people say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm being real sincere. Like, I literally was like just like lost, and I may have said this to you guys like during our coaching calls, but like, I was like kind of, I'd read some blog posts on how to be a copywriter, but then like I was trying to find a community, and there's a lot of them, but some of them were like kind of you know abrasive and mean. There's like, you know, like they have Facebook groups, but you couldn't join unless you like submitted a piece of copy. And they're like, we don't want like amateurs and wannabes here. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm one of those. So, but you guys didn't really do that. And like the accelerator was starting in back in 20, I'm going to say 2019, fall 2019. Yeah. And uh, I like asked in one of the threads, like, do, should I do this? Cause I not really, I've done copywriting, but I never officially considered myself on some guy was like, bro, like you've been doing it for three years just because you didn't know it doesn't mean you didn't do it. You are a copywriter. And as silly and as wish as that sounds, like it, it inspired me and it gave me actually enough belief in myself. And I decided like, I'm going to jump on the accelerator and I'm going to do this. And like, you guys were so, you know, you guys were just so awesome to me. Like you didn't, I was such a goofball. Like I didn't know anything and I'm sure you were, you like could sense it, but like you, you guys got, actually gave me the time of day and like, told me to keep trying. And like, that was really powerful. I may not have expressed that enough just like from the times we talked to each other, but like that really like kept me going. And like, you just made me realize that like, it's okay to not be a genius. You know, I, that's basically been the lesson I've learned across talking to you, Rob. You know, I also got coached by Abby. She's an Abby Woodcock. She's a super awesome person. Um, I've worked with like, you know, I have a bit of an accountability group with like Patty House and Christine and Loriano. Uh, Brie Weber has been really like I could go down to the whole list. And like obviously Chris, Angie, I've also worked with Robert Lucas. Like everyone's been like really phenomenal to me. And like they've just like they made me realize it's OK to you're, you're not like a hack. You're not a fraud, you know, and your your spirit of like trying to make it work compensates for the fact that you're maybe you don't have the seven, eight, year, eight years of experience that some of us do. And like, yeah, cause it's easy to give up when you don't think you're good. Right. And I always, and I definitely wanted to, but like, again, you guys were just so encouraging that like I kept going and because I kept going, I got better. So yeah, that's, that's been the big lesson. Like imposter syndrome, you know, that's, that's a feeling a lot of people experience, not just in copywriting, it's freelancing and all. And you guys, and everyone in the copywriting space has really done an excellent. And sorry, I f- totally forgot to mention Linda Perry. She's been the best at this. Made me realize that like that's just a very normal dynamic in a craft that requires a bit of creativity, and that you just need to learn to have a better relationship with it. It's never going to go away. Like even after eight years, you could be like a top copywriter, like Joel Klecky, and you can still have moments of doubt where you're like, I just don't think that headline's right. And it's like those demons never go away. But like. You just have to learn to have a better relationship with it. Yeah. Well, let's talk Let's talk about the imposter complex a little bit more. I mean, I think we've talked around it with certain, you know, around certain issues of like feeling like you're writing, not writing fast enough, but let's just 
talk about it because this is something that pops up for so many of us. And um, clearly you have found coaches and support and that has been really helpful for you. So we've kind of covered that, but I'm just wondering like how else you have been able to cope with the imposter complex and deal with the mindset shifts that are needed to grow quickly as like you've been on the path to grow fast? Um, like how do you deal with it on a personal level when you're not working? Um, what advice do you have for other copywriters who are just maybe beyond the imposter complex or just burnt out too? Because I know you've worked many hours and kind of hit burnout a couple of times too. So I am kind of asking you a bunch of questions, but what do you think about all that? It's tricky because like if you're first embarking on this journey, it's like you, you by default, your sense is like, I have to like kind of just learn everything and get good really fast. That's kind of how I felt back when I first started with you guys. Like I was like, I want, because it is like you have, you want to get paid and you want to get paid well, but the only way that can happen is if you're good. So you're in this like sort of weird cycle where you have to learn all the knowledge and then you have to also be able to prove it and then also get the gigs that'll pay. And like, you're just in this like weird wishy-washy space where you have to like be good right away, but it's kind of hard because the experience is really where you get good. Um, so in terms of like imposter syndrome, you're, you're going to feel that no matter what. There's always, the second you're behind the keyboard and somebody's paying you and they're putting a lot of faith in you and there's risk, you're going to feel pressure and you're going to be like, do I have what it takes? And you're going to, your brain is just going to remind you of all the reasons why you're not because you're new and all that stuff. But like the way to kind of like beat that is to kind of just realize that everyone was where you were at some point, you know, Joanna Weeb, Kira Hug, Rob Marsh, they were all at some point where you are and look where they are now. It's possible, dude. And you are just the latest iteration of that execution of that destiny. You're, yeah, it's going to maybe not be the smooth, the smoothest experience, but like as long as you want it, as long as you keep putting in the work, as long as you want to keep getting smart, you'll get there like everybody else has. And you have to just like love yourself enough to accept the fact that you're not a genius. Uh, that's kind of what I had to do. I kept thinking like, you know, you're trying to build up your confidence because you want to be confident in front of your clients. But then when it comes time to execute, you're like thinking about all the reasons why you're actually not a, like a genius. You're like, oh, I, I just started. So you just have to, you're playing tricks with yourself. And so I feel like it's ego. It's a lot of ego. So the, the, the way I try to regulate it is I try to meditate, honestly. That's why like the Justin Blackman podcast you guys did not too long ago really spoke to me. He was talking about that a lot. And that's why I, I signed up to, you know, Linda Perry's mindsetters for a bit and did some meditation. And I've been, I, I'm not in the group anymore, but like I, I do that very actively now, especially with COVID and you're sort of boxing your own little you know, house and all that. I've been doing a lot of like meditation because like your ego is actually a lot of the source for your writer's block. You know, I see this, uh, I see this a lot in like copywriter circles, like on LinkedIn, where they're like the cure to writer's block is more research. I 1000% disagree with that. I've had tons of research done and actually all that did was paralyze me because I kept thinking about all the options I have and do I really have the right headline? That doesn't necessarily cure writer's block. I think writer's block sometimes comes from the fact that you think you need to be really perfect right up front and that's just not possible. The first, like I said, the first draft is never good. That's why you just have to get over the fact that like the first couple are going to suck and that's okay because once you get a couple of them out of the way, you're that much closer to the better one, the, the perfect one that you're chasing. Um, so my, my, my advice to anyone that's like struggling with imposter syndrome burnout is like, 
you have to take, don't burn out because you have to take care of yourself. Everything's connected. Like being a good copywriter isn't just about knowing the techniques. It's also being able to have, to put yourself in the right state of mind to write well, you know, like, and that means like sleeping, getting the eight hours, eating well, you know, cause like you can know all the awesome things that breakthrough advertising teaches you. But if you're like fighting with yourself in terms of your weight gain and like you're irritated by like your mood, it's like, those are all distractions interfering with your ability to perform in the craft of copywriting. So I, I kind of look at it as like kind of being like an athlete, like you kind of have to take care of the life side of things for the work side of things to really work. And this idea that like you can sacrifice all of your life to just commit to the work. It's just this illusion that's kind of reinforced from years of people kind of just working all the time and having sacrifice ingrained in us as like a valuable thing that has to be done to like make big things happen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you mentioned taking a nap earlier and I thought, yeah, I want to add that to my, uh, my process as well. A nap on every project that feels pretty good. So Eddie, as you've worked through this stuff, you've, you know, built your skill set, you've up-leveled your clients and, and worked with some really cool people. You've worked through some of this mindset stuff. What are you most proud of that you've done in your business? The reactions I get from clients, honestly, like, you know, sometimes I go to bed thinking like, ah, I did all this work. Does it even matter? And then I'll, I'll literally wake up and go on Slack and I'll be like, dude, you're kicking ass. Like, thank you so much. And it's like, that's, that just feels awesome. I know that's like a silly woo woo thing to say, but like literally that drives me. Cause like at the end of the day, like we're, we're relational creatures and like, yeah, it's all business marketing, but like I'm, I'm in the business of like working with other people and making their dreams come true. And I somehow have this weird superpower of copywriting that does that really effectively. And I think, you know, I know you kind of scoffed at the idea of me like referring to us as like magicians, but it's like, I think that, I think it really is that, like, I think what we're doing is really powerful. And, uh, again, like if you're a newcomer, you should recognize that because your clients might not see that and they might dismiss you and think your, your work is worthless or not as worth what you think it is. And that's, that's a easy trap to fall in. You, you kind of like, if you're new, you kind of listen to them. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can take it down a couple of thousands, but it's like, no, you shouldn't do that. Like if you're writing a sales page for someone, if you're writing a pillar post blog post, if you're setting up their welcome sequence, you're, you're setting up like an, a, an infrastructure for long-term and that's going to really revolutionize that person's life and business. Like you're not just doing this like, f- you know, flippant, um, sort of like um, transient marketing gig. It's like you're really building something that's going to last and really change your life. And like, you should recognize that and be proud of that. I mean, maybe I'm kissing my ass a little bit, sure. But like, I don't think so. I think I, I think it's, I think what we're doing is really awesome and we should be proud of it. I agree. And I did not scoff at the wizard idea. I, I would be cool having a beard and uh, a wand. I don't think so, you want a beard. Okay. I, that doesn't work for me I here. Actually, sorry. <laughs> I have one. It's not that bad. In a future life. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask about your schedule because you mentioned meditation. So it kind of got me thinking like, I wonder what Eddie's day is like. Like we get to see you here and there, but what is your day really like? So I kind of want to know all the details of a typical day. And I know there are no typical days, but like what time do you wake up? Do you meditate first thing in the morning? What are you eating? Like, what? Are, how many naps are you taking? All the details. First thing I wake up is I, I have a playlist for meditation. And I just do that for an hour until I'm really like focused on my breathing because it takes a while. Like the first 30 minutes, you're 
just you're trying to like get the monkey mind in place. So it really takes like a good 45 minutes to an hour. And that's important because like if I can focus on my breathing, I'm going to be able to focus on my copy down later in the day. Like I said, it's all connected. So I do that. I get out of bed. I clean the clean the house a bit. Um, I take my Sorry, what time, what time is this? I need it like a time of day. This is like 7, 7.30. Okay. I know it's not... It's not, I know it's not the awesome 4 a.m. that people like to strive for, but I'm getting there. Um, there is, yeah. There's nothing about 4 a.m. that is awesome. Maybe 5 a.m., <laughs> but 4 a.m. is not is significantly less than awesome. Yeah, but like, so I, I do get up at that hour. I do not go on the computer whatsoever. Um, I don't have anything on my phone. Like, I have Instagram, but I've mute, like I've muted a lot of people, so I really just get stuff that's like about like getting up and just being motivated. Like I. I, I like check on other people's pages from time. I just don't have their feed coming in, um, which is part of my routine, actually. Like I have a lot of distraction blockers. I have a newsfeed eradicator for YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. So like I can go on those pages. I just won't see something being thrown at me. So I won't get like sucked in. So if you're not seeing me in the copywriter club underground, it's not because I'm a jerk. It's just like I have like I only see stuff when I go on my other laptop where those extensions are installed and then I see like a thread. I'm like, oh, cool. You've muted Rob and Kira in all the social social media channels. Not a bad I idea. It. I would do it. Well, first of all, Rob doesn't even follow me back. So like I can't even like mute him in the first place. But Wait, um, what channel are we talking about that I don't follow you back? We're talking about Instagram. Yeah, well, Kira, I don't, you're, follow, you're anybody, I don't follow anybody on Instagram. I think it, I might even be set to private, which is maybe not the best thing either. But I don't <laughs> Great, know. Rob. That's, that's really going to help our business grow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But, but like, yeah. So like I start my morning with that meditation. Um, I don't get into work stuff or my computer right away. I clean the dish, like I wash, like I just take care of the, the house. It's just part of something I got built into me from like my upbringing. And, um, I take my vitamins. I try to get a glass of water and some lots of coffee. And I, thanks to Rob, I developed this habit of reading every day. So I read 30 minutes to an hour and, uh, it's usually a book, like it's two books. Like I just, I just want to read more and like that I do that because it really inspired me. Like sometimes you just read a good book and it just uplifts you. And it's like for the rest of the day, I have this like crazy energy that I can like put into my work. So then once that's all ready, I've taken and obviously showered, I'm ready. I'm caffeinated, get on my computer, look at Slack. Okay. And I already have a to-do list from last night. So I already know exactly what it is I need to act, but like act on. And I usually just like go through my emails, read some stuff, and then like get to writing some copy. And so when I start writing copy, the first thing I'll do is like, sometimes I'll take like a piece of loose sheet with a Sharpie and I'll just write by hand. And then once that's done, I'll get on my, you know, I'll open up a notepad and just like type for like a good hour. And I'll say the most crazy, ridiculous that I can because I want my creativity to not be restricted. So I'll just like say stupid things that I would not be able to say in real life. And just get it all in that draft. And once that that muscle has been sort of stretched out, if you will, then I get to my other copy, like the stuff that I have to do for clients, because then I'm not going to like hold myself as back as I would. Um, that's kind of how I do it. And usually there'd be some gym in the evening, but like that's not really around with the lockdown in my part of the world. So, but otherwise that's kind of my routine. Like I just do that and then I call it a day and I chill out for and I go back to bed. I got to interrupt to ask how many cups of coffee? <laughs> In the morning, it's always two espressos, but it, by the end of the day, it's like five. Okay, all right. Yeah, you're not you're not you're not playing around. 
So Eddie, I, I, th- I think you uh, said my favorite thing that's ever been said on the podcast. And that, that is that I'm the reason that you have a reading habit. Like I can't tell you how happy that makes me, but Rob, ha- Rob, that's the reason I re- have a reading habit too. You're, you're making us it's all the best thing. That, it's one of the best things that happened to me. I thank you so much. man. Now these are like the two favorite things that have been said on the podcast. So, um, but I'm curious, so what have you been reading lately? You know, maybe, you know, in the last few months or so, what's been the most impactful thing that you've read? Honestly, I've been reading the, uh, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. That's been a really phenomenal book. Oh my God. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Like his, his stuff is just, I don't even know how I would read a book by him or, or the collection of the stuff by him, because it's like every paragraph you have to stop and like figure out how it fits in with everything else that you know. Like that guy is so smart. I mean, uh, we did a gift exchange for the the, th- the think tank and like uh, Sarah Vartanian, awesome launch copywriter. She sent me super fans. So I was reading that a little bit. That's super fans by Pat Flynn. Um, and I was also reading, I was rereading um, Damn Good Advice by George Lois, who's like the actual Don Draper, you know? So he was like the, he's one of those advertisers from the fifties and he's the inventor of the big idea. So I like to revisit his book just cause I, I'm very, very intrigued by like the way he thought about things. And I still think a lot of it holds true now, even today. So Eddie, what at this point in your business, what are you most excited about? Like, what are you excited about building next or focused on next over the next, let's say three to six months? I'm very, I'm very appreciative and excited about the work I'm doing with like Orzy Media. Um, I've been doing a lot of funnels for, for, for that company. Like, you know, I set up, it's, it's been really cool. Cause like, you know, he works alongside Mike Renard, who's like a really well-known Facebook expert. He does a lot of the Facebook ads for Copy Chief for Kevin Rogers. And I've just like been getting really good at like designing Facebook ads and leading it to a certain offer, like in terms of a sales page and converting that. And then trying to like figure out how to get the average order value up in terms of like, how do we get it such that people buy the main offer, but they also buy the order bump and then also the upsell. And how do we optimize it so that like we're in a situation where we're not really spending on the ads, we're actually like making profit. So like once we're in that, that sweet spot where we're spending all this money on ads, but we're actually getting a bit of a return. Okay, great. We can now scale because we know that like, we're not going to lose money doing this. That that's been, that's actually something that really excites me. And then the next thing we're going to be trying to do is like SEO. Like, um, I mean, I know like I, I know I did a blog post for for you guys, like with that that big blog post for how to write a site for your first copywriter website. Um, and if you guys are looking to do more of that, that'd be exciting. But like, I know Chris wants to do that. Like he wants to like have some more SEO blog posts to kind of like boost up the agency and stuff. And I'm really excited about like being part of that and letting that grow. Um, obviously, at the end of the day, like this is stuff that I get to learn and I get to get good at. And then What's exciting for me is being able to do it for myself someday. Um, I don't know if I can do it in Q1, but I'm also not too upset about it. Like I, I know that like I should probably be a bit more visible and people should like see me more. But like I'm not that sad about the fact that it's not happening. Like it'll happen on its own. Um, right now, I'm just having a good time, getting really good at stuff, getting results, and I think like the work will speak for itself. And eventually, I'll be able to do all this stuff for myself and not like second guess myself as much. So as you're mentioning, you know, the work that you're doing on funnels, do you have just one or two quick secrets that we can borrow to improve our own AOV in the work that we're doing? If we're talking about specifically like sending cold traffic, like from Facebook ads, 
it's really weird because I had no idea about this until from the work I did recently. But like, um, you know, like as copywriters, we're, we're very obsessed with the word you. And that's like, it's a magical word because it speaks to the reader. But Facebook apparently does not like that very much. <laughs> like, so when you write your Facebook ads, they don't like the fact that you're being so like um, call out-ish. So you have to actually be a little, you have to relent back. And you could get mad about that. Or you could just see it as a restriction that'll make you a better copywriter. And so I choose the latter. And so what, what, what was surprising is that like you actually have to make it as clear and as um, U-less as possible with your sales page that it leads to because apparently Facebook can deem that as compliant or not and then maybe throttle like your results. So you can kind of do that little a bit, a bit later in the page or in your copy, but like upfront apparently that's no bueno. So like, that's, that's the advice I get. If you're trying to like set up a page and part of your strategy is to send traffic through Facebook ads, like be, be a little careful about being clever and using the word you it's, it's your, your best bet is to just be clear and like not, and, and try to talk about like something like a story that happened with you and a client versus like trying to talk directly to the reader upfront. All right. Very cool. And Eddie, I know we're at the end of our time together, but I just want to thank you for sharing your, your being vulnerable and sharing kind of your path to get here and all the mindset shifts along the way. And I think, um, what I admire the most about you is that you're, you are so committed to being a great copywriter. And even when you joined the think tank, like that was what you said, I think even in your application, it was like, like it's do or die. Like I'm doing this. It's going to happen. And it was just like the most hardcore application we received. And I just think I'm a very intense person. I'm sorry. You're an intense Don't person. Sorry. And it's what's great about you. And so I think it's just been really fun to to kind of dive in a little bit deeper today. So thanks for thanks for doing that with us. Thank you. Yeah. I know I'm a weirdo. I'm sorry. It's just who I am. I'm trying to be honest about it. Yeah. Well, TCC likes weirdos. So you're in good company. So that's the end of our interview with Eddie Brun. Uh, before we wrap up, though, there are a couple more things that I think we should touch on, starting with what Eddie was talking about with the imposter complex. And I think this is a really good point to mention that we have a previous podcast episode. In fact, we've talked about this on several episodes. But um, if you struggle with the imposter complex, uh, you should really go back and listen to episode 47. I'm pretty sure it's episode 47 with Tanya Geisler. Uh, she talks all about the imposter complex, uh, the 12 ways that it shows up in our business. It is a really, really good interview. And it's the kind of thing that can um, give you a little bit more perspective on why it happens and what to do as it starts to show up in your business. Um, and then uh, I guess along with the imposter complex, you know, Eddie mentioned writer's block. And so, you know, question for you, Kira, you know, do you ever suffer from writer's block? Like what, you know, when, when that, when the words don't come, how do you get restarted? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm a big believer in what Seth Godin says about writer's block, um, just about it not, not being an issue, um, just being an issue in our head. And so, uh, yeah, I struggle to write a first draft at times because I hate it, but I just will kind of keep at it. I'm a, more of a slow writer, so I'll just rewrite it um, 20 times until I'm happy with it. So I don't really struggle with writer's block. It's more about just getting it. It's more of a perfectionist issue um, that I struggle with and needing to learn when to let go and just publish. Um, but I think it kind of goes back to what Eddie was saying about your state of mind and how you need to 
have a really healthy state of mind as a writer. And I love that he shared his morning routine and how he meditates and his creative writing time. And I think Eddie's been very disciplined in that and it's helping him. And so I think that state of mind is really critical for what we do as writers to help maybe help you overcome the writer's block if that is something you struggle with. And then also just a state of mind as a as a business person and as a thought leader. And we're all business people, thought leaders. Some of us are also community, community leaders, community organizers. And even to do that well and to show up for your clients, um, you have to have a really healthy state of mind too. So he's he's right in that sense that I think we should be talking more about that. I know we talk a lot about mindset, but just what are those things we can do that we can control so that we have a healthy state of mind and can sit down and write and not um, get stuck by the resistance and feel like, you know, writer's block is preventing us from completing our work. But Rob, do you deal with writer's block? I feel like you don't. So uh, there are definitely times when I have a hard time getting started. And usually that's because, you know, I haven't done enough research or I'm just not really clear on what I want to say. And so when I, when I have that happen, I just kind of start to bullet things out. Like, you know, I want to talk about this thing and I want to say this thing. And it's almost a way of building a really loose outline for the ideas that I want to cover. And it helps me almost uncover the things that I don't know yet that I need to know more about, you know? So, uh, you know, as I'm bulleting out, say a sales page, um, I might, you know, think of a point that, that I need to go find a testimonial for, or, you know, that I need to find some way to back it up with proof or whatever. And so just by starting to bullet things out, I, I usually, um, you know, if I don't have a headline or a hook already, uh, I just kind of move on from that and start working on like, what is the message of the whole sales page? And then I'll come back to the other stuff. But occasionally, you know, it just, it just kind of flows and I kind of know what I want to say from the beginning, you know, almost from the headline on. And when that happens, it's a good day. Yeah. And we actually talk a lot about different creative exercises to help you overcome writer's block in the underground with Justin Blackman. Every week on Tuesdays, he comes in and for a creative juice box session where we do a bunch of fun uh, writing and creative exercises to help trigger uh, a lot more headline ideas, creative ideas if you do get stuck. So if if you do feel like you get stuck, it might be worth jumping into the underground and participating in the creative juice box with us. Yeah. One other thing that I think we should just uh, touch on from what Eddie was talking about is his reading habit. Uh, and he was kind enough to credit me with, you know, helping him get that started or whatever. But this is definitely something that I believe in. Uh, I think it goes back to um, something that I read, you know, it might have been a Brian Tracy book or something like that. But uh, he pointed out that if you spend 20 to 30 minutes a day reading a book, then you will read somewhere between one and two books a month. And over the course of a year to 18 months, you read, you know, 18 to 20, 24 books, somewhere in that range. And that is about what you would read if you were in a PhD program. And so if you're wise and choosing the kinds of books that you're reading, you know, maybe you're focused on copywriting or maybe you're focused on entrepreneurship or business or, you know, client acquisition or sales or something, you know, by, by focusing your reading in certain areas, you can basically earn yourself a PhD in that topic about every year and a half or so. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, over 10 or 20 or 30 years, like, you know, Eddie's thinking about his career, 
that's a lot of PhDs. That's a lot of knowledge. And that's a lot of stuff that you can then bring to your work as a copywriter. So, you know, and, and it doesn't have to all be business focused. Of course, you know, there, there are times for reading fiction and poetry and, and other things too. There are skills that can learn from that. But having a daily reading habit, I think, is critical in improving what we do as copywriters. Agreed. I try to read a, a new book every week. I feel like that's a rhythm I can keep up with and maintain. Um, I know Reese Witherspoon talks about how she reads a book a day, which is pretty intense. I can't do that. So I'm not at that level, but I, I do try to, at least if I can hit a book a week, I feel really good about myself and I'm like very happy with the progress. And if I miss it, then I, I don't beat myself up. I just jump back in with the, the next book. Yeah, it's a it's a good habit. All right. Well, um, Rob, do you think you go through like a couple books a week or what, what does it usually add up to on average per month for you? So, well, I, I mean, I can tell you the number, you know, from last year. And if I include the books that I listen to, in addition to the books that I read, uh, last year, I was pretty close to 120 books. Um, so that, and most of those are listened to, not actually read, you know, with notes, whatever. So, um, but, and it's a really good mix of, you know, fiction and, and business. I listen to most fiction. I hardly read any more fiction. I just think it's easier to consume those kinds of stories, you know, through audio. But if it's a book that I really want to think about and connect with other things that I've read, usually that's, you know, I'm turning the pages, I'm underlining things, that kind of thing. So um, I don't know what that works out to. Maybe a book every three or four days, something something close to that. But again, that's a really broad mix of, of what I read. Impressive. All right. Well, uh, we want to thank Eddie for joining us this week to talk about his business. If you want to connect with Eddie, you can find him on Twitter, on Instagram, where Rob apparently doesn't follow him back. Rob, you need to get on that. And you can follow Eddie on LinkedIn. Or if you want to connect with him personally or hire him to work with you, send him an email at eddie at eddiebaroon.com. I have worked with Eddie personally. I work with him on projects now and he's an incredible collaborator. So I highly encourage you to read out, reach out if you need a copywriter to work with. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave your review of the show. Reviews help other copywriters find the program so they can get better at this thing we all do also. And to get your ticket to TCC Not in Real Life, our, uh, our event, go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCCIRL dash one. You'll find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the 